Mindfulness Mode 508. I think it's the guys who are on the leading edge of science that are going to be able to explain what consciousness ultimately is. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, have you ever thought of having a podcast yourself? Well, you should check out Podbean. That's where my podcast lives. And uh, I've got a little bonus for you. You can hear more about it at the end of the show. So stay tuned then. Hey, today we are talking all about music. And I have a guest that I really relate to. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, you probably know that music is a big part of my life, and I'm honored to have a man with me today whose life is all about music and helping others understand that music is pivotal. Music is something that can really feed our souls. I have Bill Proxman with me today. Hey, Bill, are you in mindfulness mode today? Hey, Mindful Tribe, I am so in mindfulness mode right now. It's just been an amazing day so far, and I'm just glad to be here right now dialing into what's happening. So yes, definitely. That's awesome, Bill. Now, I just want to introduce you. Bill Protzman uses the power of music to delight and inspire self-care. How cool is that? He's an avid volunteer, and he's held board positions with Guitars for Vets and the San Diego Veterans Coalition. He's been instrumental in connecting thousands of military service members and veterans with honor tickets to the largest symphony concerts. That's uh, the San Diego Symphony. Bill has delivered keynote addresses to organizations including the American Music Therapy Association, Consumer Action, the Society for Financial Education, and Professional Development. And he's published articles at Fox News, Your Tango, The Good Men Project, Psychology Today. Bill is also author of the book called More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization. So welcome to the show, Bill. Great to have you here. Thank you, Bruce. It does feel very welcoming to be on this particular show at this particular moment. So, yes. That's great. I love to talk about music and I love to talk about mindfulness. So, Bill, how did the two connect? What does mindfulness mean to you when it comes to music? This is such a loaded question because music is so much not about your mind. It's about your heart. It's about the feelings and the emotions. And yes, it does tickle your your mind too because there's memories up there that music connects with and it helps us think and helps us turn off our thinking when we need to turn it off. So yeah, there's connection to mindfulness. But for me, music is this doorway into what meditators often call um, peace, I think is the best way to put it. And that's not the kind of peace where you go out and, and enforce peace on some conflict. It's the kind of peace that just allows you to be fully present and fully aware without that annoying little dialogue that's always going on in my mind. I don't know how many voices go on in everybody's minds, but mine has at least one and usually more. (laughs) That's the time where everything just comes to rest. And it's a very empowering way to reach that place, which I think we can call mindfulness. Okay, so hat tip to mindfulness, where your mind goes away and just allows you to be fully be present. So piano is your main instrument. Do you play piano every day, Bill? I wish I did, but I don't have a chance anymore. I'm so busy to play every day. 
if I'm preparing for something, of course, that's a different issue, but I'm always playing music, whether my hands are on or I'm listening with headphones or I'm re remembering songs that are in my space that I want to connect with in some purposeful way. So you wrote the book More Than Human. Can you share with us what inspired you to write that book and what was the message you wanted to leave people with, Bill? You know, I was lucky enough to be involved in a project where there were several of us on this team we were trying to figure out how to deal with moral injury. So if you're a veteran or if you're active duty and, and you've done something that goes against your beliefs, that creates a kind of injury that's present and, and you have to deal with that. That's a sort of a spiritual injury. So we took it down the road a little ways. We found that the army was very interested in spiritual readiness. If you're going to be physically, mentally, and emotionally ready, you better also be spiritually prepared to cross the line, right? To, to do what you have to do. So there's lots of support for this notion of the human spirit out there. Bigger than religions and bigger than God. It's not about that. Whatever your term for it is, the human spirit, the thing that fires us up the most. Well, guess where the similarities are between the human spirit and what happens when you're playing music or listening to it. So I thought, hey, I might be able to contribute to this a little bit. We got done, the group got done, and I took it and ran with it, came up with a book. And it seems to be something that resonates, Bruce. There's actual research that shows that businesses that come from a place of practical, spiritual best practices, long-term, but those spiritual best practices turn out to be great for business. And they turn out to be great for organizational development and human resources. And just people want to work with you when you're coming from that place of spiritual best practice. And so we got a little book out of it. And it's done pretty well out there, actually. It's always amazing when you put your product out in the world to see where it goes and what kind of life it has on its own. I've been very pleased and blessed by the fact that people want to know what's in that book. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not really crazy. It's actually great, in my opinion. And as you were speaking, your cat walked into the frame, and I can see your cat back there. And I want to ask you what role animals play in your life and how animals and music are connected for you, Bill? You know that this particular cat likes to sleep on top of the piano, and she's been doing that since she was little. And so finally I put a bed up there, and she just goes up there and hangs out now. They love it to, when there's music going on. And there's three of them. Two of them are very, like, we're, we want to be in the room. And the other one's like, oh, okay, I'll be here, but I don't want to let anybody know that I'm here. You know, cats are. They're just so indifferent. But they all function as a way of staying present. And I really get it now when people with service animals say, well, this is my service animal. It's an emotional thing. It's an it's a, it's a in-the-moment thing. Animals tend to live that way, and they offer us that opportunity, too. When they come and you know they annoy you or claw at you like it's time to be fed or it's, i need to be scratched behind the ears they really want you to be fully present with them and isn't that marvelous yeah it's phenomenal and uh, my dog passed in june uh, and sadie loved it when i played the piano she would always come she'd lay right underneath the piano as soon as she heard me start to play and she could hear the vibrations feel the vibrations of course and she would sing depending on what key the song was in oh beautiful you know she would only sing in certain keys but as soon as i'd play a certain song yeah uh, then she'd be like oh you know and she sang and she just loved it and you you could just tell she loved every second of it oh my gosh i have a dear friend who's passed but i used to be her accompanist and she sang opera mostly but she had pugs and when we were rehearsing, the pugs would never sing. They just yip. But I love singing dogs or wolves. Have you heard the wolves sing at night or coyotes? Oh, what, a, what an incredibly haunting, beautiful sound. You're so blessed that that was 
part of what she gave to you and that we can honor her in, in her passing too. I know that's a difficult thing to lose a dear friend that way. Oh, yeah. She added incredible energy to our household. Well, Bill, I want to ask you, how do you help people with their self-care through music? How do you do that? Self-care is one of those things that's growing beyond getting your nails done or a day at the spa or you know, taking your treat yourself. Remember that from uh, that incredible uh, sitcom was on not too long ago about the little town and I, Indiana or someplace where it was all government employees. Great show. I'm not going to mention the name. You can go find it. But this whole idea of self-care is, is critical right now. There's so much that we turn to experts for, especially in healthcare. And we need to. There's things that experts can do for us that we can't do for ourselves. But the evidence around self-care that's available, yoga and meditation, the big one's getting a lot of play right now. We all know about EFT tapping. Yes. And that's an, a marvelous uh, venue for self-care. Music has been doing self-care for thousands of years. Since, since we first started hollering at each other or beating on logs, sound and rhythm have been present for us and in very, very healthful ways. And recent mu- mu- research on music, I mean, just in the last 20 years, is that if you're playing music in the ICU, for example, the people listening to music in the ICU need half the pain medication of people who aren't. That seems like it would be important right now in the middle of our opioid crisis. It sure does. So enlivening our, um, I guess, our bandwidth for what we could do that really does care well for us physically, mentally, of course, emotionally. Music is amazing emotionally, even spiritually. This is a huge opportunity. And there's such a hunger for it. We can see it leaking out all over the place in social media. But if you're someone who is focused on on, on getting above just the deficiency aspects of your progress through life and becoming self-actualized and striving for transcendence and all of those things that are pulling us forward as human beings to evolve. Music is a fantastic gateway for that. And well, you've been a music teacher. You understand that if you challenge somebody, they're going to rise to the occasion. Yes. And we need to challenge ourselves to, to do better things that we can do for ourselves because there aren't enough experts out there, even if we could pay them, there are enough experts to care for us in ways that we need care right now. And we do need care right now so much. There's so many people out there, coaches, mentors, peer mentors, all of the therapists and all the clinicians who are doing this work. It's, it's not enough. We've got to engage in our own responsibility for how we feel, how we think, and how we act at a much higher level than we have. And if we're challenged to do that, we can. And music is a doorway to that. When did you first start working with veterans and what took you to that place? I was very blessed to have a, a therapist who saw my program. I was doing a one-man show at that time and said, Bill, you've got to take this to veterans because there's so much in here that people can use to deal with post-traumatic stress. That was the big issue at the time, um, late 2000s, early 2010s. And so to do that, I moved to San Diego because one in every three, third person here is uh, related to the military some way and began to volunteer and volunteer with Guitars for Vets and the Veterans Coalition that you mentioned, and then doing my own work teaching homeless people how to use music as a tool to keep them grounded in so many ways and help them meet challenges in so many ways. Homeless people have huge challenges way beyond, you know, what it's like to keep the lights on and a roof over your head. So this, this, this work has all led me to see in real time how it is that a piece of music can affect someone who picks up a guitar and begins to play. And it, it's almost like the lights come on. And living for that moment has become part of the 
the thing that I want in my life. I want to be there when the lights come on for somebody around music as self-care, you know, for the first time. It's an amazing moment. I can tell how passionate you are. Well, how does a homeless person use music to help them? I mean, they probably don't even have a musical instrument. Not even, yeah. It's like it's like this disconnect where you think that this issue has nothing to do with music. On the other hand, if you bring your focus to something and it's music, which affects you in so many different ways, it's holistic, that's going to change you. And it may change you for only a short period of time, but it definitely changes you and you can't help it. <laughs> We're just wired to resonate. Human beings just resonate for sound and rhythm. So um, some of the effects of that after the music class, I'd have people in the agency say to me, hey, you know, after your class, our clients come in and they're much more, they're much more attentive and focused and able to process complicated things than if they come in on another day where there hasn't been a music class. And putting two and two together, I mean, you could take it apart. And if there was a neuroscientist in the room, they could say, well, this music did that. And here's how it works. And you could explain it but there isn't time for that. You know, we've got the research, so let's just stand on the research and do what we do. And if that means helping a homeless person who's dealing with grief, move through that grief and give them tools they can use then to do that wherever they have grief. And there's a lot of grief and homelessness. Uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And they can then take that and deploy it to other friends too, because the homeless community is tight and help other people in their community also deal with the things that are huge stressors if you're homeless. I just mentioned grief, but you know, people steal your shoes when you're homeless. That's a, that's a huge <laughs> source of stress and sadness when it happens. I want to let Mindful Tribe know how to connect with you, and that's at quest.musiccare.net. That's Q-U-E-S-T dot Dot net. So what will we find there? You know, that's actually the portal to, um, to a real life quest. And I've called it a quest on purpose because there's a ceremonial nature to doing music work. You can hear it playing in the background, but if you bring it up front and you give it your full attention, you're engaging yourself in ways that are completely holistic. And, th and that that's a very intentional, very almost a spiritual, holy process to bring your focus to yourself that way. So you'll find under quest.musiccare.net a bunch of free stuff, ways to reach me, and also a, an entry point where you can go and take a completely mentored, gamified, online, multi-day. It takes it's an hours and hours to do this. It's heavy lifting, man, if you want to get into this. A quest to find out how your music that you love is really working on you. And you'll come away with things like silver bullet playlists that you can use for any emotion to be able to track it through from the moment it's triggered until it's resolved. Uh, the same kind of thing you can use to reach your peak performance. There's so many ways that music works and they're mostly contained within that, that first landing page of the quest. I, I love to think of it in, in terms of almost ritual. It's strange, but when we're going to perform, you know this as a teacher and a piano player, when you're going to perform, there's a certain organization to the way that things happen. Anybody who's been to a concert knows the lights go down, right? Yes. People fill up the auditorium, the lights go down, the performers appear, there's magic, and then, uh, and then it's over. And, and bringing your full engagement with music as an individual listening to it, to that kind of ritual, 
just strengthens the whole process. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story about bullying where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? Oh, gosh, I was too young to know. But yes, I was thinking about this question. I heard, heard you ask it to another guest. When I was a little kid, maybe in first grade, I walked to and from school back in the day in Palo Alto. It was still safe. And I was always on my way home, always, always, always interrupted in my walk by these older guys. And they love to like grab my arm and twist it behind my back, which really hurts. I mean, it's been a long time, but I can still remember that pain. Wow. Bad. And it got so bad once that I left school at lunch and walked home. My mom was surprised. Why are you here? I said, I just don't want to encounter those bullies. It got resolved, but not by me. Mm. I realized, and this is, I think is the important point that, well, first of all, bullying, why? I mean, what's up with that? But you really do need to reach out and say to somebody who has authority, look, this isn't right. This needs to stop. And I've seen that with my own kids and my stepdaughters too. We've had to intervene because for some reason, it's the craziest thing, Bruce. Why do we allow this to happen at all levels of society? It's just not necessary. Not at all. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I think it's phenomenal what you're doing with people, with music, helping people be aware that music can help them through some of these times. And it sounds like a great tool that you've put on your website to help people. This is really incredible. Did you create this yourself? Yes. I sort of productized what I've been doing for 30 years now uh, in a way that, that will be able to reach more people. There's so many ways to, to connect with music these days. And enlivening, I think, musicians who perform to be able to say, and this is what I do and here's why. Uh, Lizzo is doing that right now in, in an amazing way. And I, I found a new one too. Brittany Howard is doing that right now. The young musicians are starting to realize they have a responsibility for this, to let people know that music is how they manage to survive their stuff. And why they're there is to let other people in on that too. That's beautiful. Yeah, it really is beautiful. And I want to know what your morning routine is like. Do you listen to music every morning or do you meditate every morning? What is your morning routine? So meditation for me is is music. So to get to that meditative place, I don't sit often, but I always bring music in. And that can be from the sublime to the ridiculous, where I bring in a song that I want on purpose, or I wake up with some earworm. <laughs> so I've learned to be very accepting and to take whatever music comes my way. And it always does. It, it, you know, In the morning, it always wakes me up in some way to take that and see if I can find the, the content in that that I need for that moment. And even if it's an annoying earworm, and I won't mention any of them right now because then you'll have one for the rest of the day. So <laughs> mindful tribe, I honor you. Whatever your earworm is, it's got information. And that information could be emotional, spiritual, mental, physical, whatever it is, welcoming that in is a great way I find to start my day. And then I'll guide that around some spiritual practice or another, whatever comes my way in the morning to help shape my thoughts for the day, welcome that in. And then it's off and running. Doesn't take very long, but it's a fantastic way of, of engaging fully with the day. Bill, you've done a lot of performing. Can you tell me what performance just pops into your mind, a life-changing performance that you remember right now? Oh, sure. Great question, Bruce. I was in fifth grade before I started to enjoy playing the piano. And by that time, my mom was my teacher and she started me at three. 
So you can imagine what it's like growing up, you know, all the way through elementary school. And you're not the kid who can run outside and play because you're the kid who's practicing. So it was painful. But I discovered Ragtime. And this amazing movie came out called The Sting. Yes. And Scott Joplin's Ragtime Music was the soundtrack for that movie. And I was playing it. And, and all of a sudden, people wanted to hear Ragtime. And I discovered that that was the case when I volunteered to perform in front of the whole school as a fifth grader. And my song was a 12th Street Rag. And, and that sucker ends a bunch of times. Every time it ends, the people would clap in the room, right? So two, three. Finally, I'm, I'm at the last strain, and I realized that they're going to have to clap one more time. And by this time, I'm starting to get it. Like, I, it's finally come home. Yeah, Bill, you got them where, exactly where they belong, right? So ever since that two-thirds of the way <laughs> through the 12th Street rag, that moment in fifth grade, everything has changed for me about performing music and offering it to people and connecting with people who get it. I love that story. Uh, when my son was seven or eight, I started to teach him piano lessons. But there was one problem. As his dad, I wanted to be able to connect with him as a father, but as a music teacher, I felt like I needed to connect with him differently. I decided we could do a role play, and I said, Ben, every time it's your music lesson time, I'm going to be going outside of the house, and I'll knock on the door, and I won't be your dad. I'll be Mr. Langford, the music teacher, and you can answer the door, and I'll come in, and you just uh, look at me as the music teacher rather than your dad. So I'd ring the doorbell, he'd answer the door, and he'd say, oh, come in, Mr. Langford. And from then on, every music lesson was like that. He did not see me as his father. And this worked really well. That's brilliant. So you have a whole new career here you didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, it just worked for us. And he went on and learned the saxophone and the drums and became very interested in music. He's a fortunate young man. Oh, yeah. And he started at university back in September. And he wants to be a theoretical physicist. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so he's really happy having had the chance to do music and work at physics and science and math. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that music, particularly emotions, is our human approach to the other. Whether that's quantum physics or um, the quantum gravity is my current sort of fascination out there. But I think it's the guys who are on the leading edge of science that are going to be able to explain what consciousness ultimately is and how our emotions activate that consciousness. It's, it's a fascinating field. So who knows? We'll be seeing Dr. Langford's papers, you know, someday in 40 years that are explaining all this to us. <laughs> yeah, you may be right. And for those Mindful Tribe listeners who do not know what quantum gravity is, could you give us some insight into that? Gosh, we should put a YouTube or something in the show notes on that. But, um, one of the things that's fascinating to me about what's happening in physics is that people are dialing back and they're figuring that string theory has kind of reached its end, kind of at the end of the rope. Sorry, bad pun, but there are things about string theory that don't work out. So they're dialing back to Einstein and sort of starting over with gravity and relativity. And quantum gravity is one of the, the pathways that they're following through that, that mathematically anyway, explains the entire universe in, in an unassailable way. Now, there's certain assumptions you have to make, of course, there always are, but it's as close as we've got right yet to the grand unified theory of everything. That's what quantum gravity is all about. 
and being able to explain that, at least on a theoretical or mathematical level, is a huge leap forward for science. So what are you working on now? What are some of your projects you're working on right now as we speak? I'm doing a couple of things. Um, the symphony that you mentioned earlier is very interested in doing a more uh, organized outreach to our military community in San Diego. There's so many people in San Diego who are involved with the military. And we have a brand new music director, symphony conductor. Um, the LA Times reviewed his first concert and basically said, San Diego now has a world-class, exciting orchestra. And that's been, I don't know, first time I heard San Diego Symphony was like 1978. It's been that long coming. And that's the kind of dedication it takes. So I'm looking forward to being a part of that initiative and helping more veterans and military and guard and reserves to connect with a healing music organization that really wants to offer them something more than, you know, potential um, post-traumatic stress, potential for combat injuries, potential for, I mean, you put your life on the line. And certainly an organization that is dedicated to helping the citizens, the people in its community that can do that in such a powerful way with music ought to be engaged. So that's one of the most exciting initiatives that's going on. I do get to do these things, podcasting, whatever, and, and rolling out what I've been doing on a volunteer basis to a, a community that wants to pay to help give them skills they don't have. That's an amazing opportunity too. And there's so many people out there who are just making it by you know a hair's breadth that could hit it out of the park if they had one more spark to get them to that place. And it's not a, I'm not looking for bigger, better, faster. That's, I think that's a disaster actually. And automation has gotten us to a place where we can do so much and so much more, but it's a dead end. It, it's just not an authentic thing. And you can't be an authentic person and then have a company that's supposed to be doing authentic things and then market them inauthentically or deliver them in, in a way that doesn't resonate for your core values. These are important things. And part of our, uh, our challenge right now in the world is to be able to let go of the stuff that isn't serving us like instead of competing together, we need to work together and collaborate. That's our nature as tribal people to do that. We have to join together to achieve something rather than eliminating the competition and being the first one to get there. It's, that's, that approach, as we know, is it's kind of run its course. Yeah, it really has. That's for sure. So that's my objective. They're enlivened that movement. That's exciting. Bill, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Sure. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness for you? Oh, I'm so inspired right now by the Dalai Lama's work. I didn't really learn too much about that until I was in about my late 40s. But as I've read more and watched more and, and just paid attention to what this man has had to do in his life, what an inspiring individual. And I look forward to the day at some point in my life where I have an opportunity to ask him a question. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? But that's, that's been incredibly inspiring. Go Dalai Lama. Wow. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Bill? This is a trick question, Bruce. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd flip it the other way. So how, how have emotions affected my mindfulness? I think the thing that is important here is letting go of what you think. So the more that I let go of what I think, and that could be preconceptions or could be new thought that just comes at me or just the busyness and the chatter, the more that I'm able to let go of that, the more welcome I feel toward emotional energy and its content. And I feel the practice of that is a very safe thing these days, instead of being always focused on keeping the emotions I don't want out of my space. I just welcome them in. 
Phrasing is a big part of music. And that brings me to breathing. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness? Early on, I had a piano teacher explain to me that a melody on the piano is it's being made by hitting things. And the challenge is to make that melody sing. And to be able to sing it, you have to breathe it. So I, even though I'm playing a percussion instrument, I find myself breathing in, in, inspired by the music. So I'm breathing in the same phrasing that a singer might be breathing. And fortunately, I had a band teacher very early on that taught me about uh, diaphragmatic breathing. And so I've always had this ability to breathe deeply. It's just been natural. It's what I've learned from a kid. So when people come to me now and say, well, you know, teach us how to breathe or something like that, it's like, wait a minute. I didn't realize that this was not something people learned right? And it's always been just the breath has been an important part of everything, everything that happens musically and in life. Take a few deep breaths. Well, you do that. And the neuroscience tells us about dopamine and all the wonderful things that happen when you breathe deeply. So yeah, it's just, it's just part of the practice. And if you're listening and you don't breathe, like find a way to breathe intentionally to music or whatever it takes to create that amazing energy inside you. So true. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Oh, I'm going old school again. I recently found this book called The Path of Least Resistance by Robert Fritz. It's not real old school. I think it might be 80s, might be early 90s, but it's about how creators create and why you can do that effectively by taking the path of least resistance. It's almost obvious And it really spoke to me because I haven't found a book that really reaches me on that creator level yet. And of course, yeah, you bring a lot of mindfulness to that process before you let go and let the the evolutionary thing, the new thing that doesn't yet exist happen. So it really spoke to me. Path of least resistance. Oh yeah, I'd like to check that out. The path of least resistance. Are there any apps you could recommend, Bill? Oh, this is another great question. I do. I love the app called Brainwave. And what Brainwave does is it, it lets you play binaural beats of different frequencies. And you can overlay them with music that's also on your flat device. Uh, it's a very nice way of giving yourself a bilateral stimulation, which is wonderful for problem solving and releasing trauma and just a bunch of other stuff. So Brainwave, current favorite app. Okay, so we'll put all this into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com slash 508 for the episode. And check out Bill's website, Mindful Tribe, quest.musiccare.net. It's been a pleasure to spend time with you and to talk to you today, Bill. And do you have any last words for Mindful Tribe? Oh, just one really simple thing. Change your music, change your life. Yes, I agree. There's so much wonderful music out there to inspire us and feed us. Thanks for being on the show, Bill. It's been great. You're so welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. 
So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember, if you're thinking of launching your own podcast, you can get a free month at Podbean with its awesome pricing and fantastic stats. Uh, you can just do that by going to podbean.com slash podbeanmm, standing for mindfulness mode. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.